Welcome to the 161st episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, our topics are a brief overview of Patrick's weekend predictions, our weekly look at Major League Baseball, and our picks for Home Run Derby. Let's jump right in with a look back at Patrick's weekend predictions, which are posted every Thursday on our website, 4thand24.com. And given that it's summertime and it's only the MLB, all of these are Major League Baseball series predictions. And Patrick went 3-1 and one in those Major League Baseball weekend series predictions, bringing him to a 433-306 and 306 overall record. That's a 58.6% winning percentage. Patrick, your thoughts on your predictions? Well, the Yankees took 2-3 of three from the Red Sox, which is a win for me. Uh, the Phillies swept the Marlins. That was a loss for me on a very risky pick, but uh, definitely did not pay off. Um, then the Rays took 2-3 of three from the Orioles, and the Padres took 2-3 of three from the Diamondbacks but failed to complete the sweep. Uh, going back to that Red Sox-Yankees series in Game 1, it was a relatively well-pitched game. It was 4-4 four to four going into extra innings after the Yankees had tied it in the bottom of the ninth. Both teams failed to score in the 10th, and the Red Sox didn't record a hit in the 11th, but off of a sacrifice fly and a wild pitch, uh, the Red Sox would score one run to make it 5-4. to four. The Yankees went strikeout, groundout, strikeout to end the game, but then their bats woke up angry for the rest of the series. They would go on to score 27 runs on Saturday and Sunday combined, behind two home runs each for Matt Carpenter and Aaron Judge. Uh, Matt Carpenter had seven RBI, and Aaron Judge had three on Saturday. And then an eight-run fourth inning by the Yankees on Sunday uh, helped to clinch the series win. Then in the Phillies and Marlins, it was a worry of mine that the Marlins' offense might just not show up, and that's exactly what happened. They scored one run in the entire series this weekend. I banked on them winning with Sandy Alcantara on the mound and then winning one of the other games in the series uh, because they haven't lost much with Sandy on the mound at all this year, obviously, making his case to be the all-star starter, and he definitely is a deserving all-star, more than deserving. Um, but he won eight innings, but they still lost 2-1, to one, and I knew the series was over then, but to really put the nail in the coffin, the Phillies scored 10 runs on Saturday to, to clinch the series and then eventually went on to sweep anyway. Then in the Orioles and Rays, I picked against the team who had won 10 games in a row heading into the series. But, you know, after how horrible last week went, it seems that traditional and conventional picks don't always work anyway, so I might as well go a little crazy every once in a while. And uh, I dug into the past a little bit. The Rays were 17-1 and last season against the Orioles, so I figured they would be able uh, to be the team to cool the Orioles off a little bit, bring them back down to earth. And that's exactly what they did. They won the first game of the series 5-4. to after losing Game 2, 6-4, the Rays came back to win the third game, 7-5. And then finally, you have the Diamondbacks and the Padres. Honestly, series wasn't too interesting. I was really only picking it because I had to fill the last spot of my predictions this weekend. Uh, the, the Padres would go on to win the first two games of the series, 5-3 and 4-3, before dropping the final game, 3-1. Well, that wraps up our look back at Patrick's predictions for this past weekend. His predictions for next weekend, as always will be posted on our website, 4thand24.com, on Thursday. So let's now move from Major League Baseball predictions to our weekly look back at Major League Baseball, starting as we always do in the American League East. The Yankees obviously lead this division again. I mean, it's not possible for them to end up not in the lead until, what, probably August at this point, honestly. I think, yeah, it can't happen. <laughs> well, it can't happen now because it's the All-Star break, and it can't happen for another two weeks because they are 13 games ahead of the Tampa Bay Rays with their 64-28 and 28 record. Uh, they're no longer on pace to really, I wouldn't even say really threaten the the Mar- Sorry, the Mariners' record. 
Um, for winning for how many games won in a year, they're currently on pace for 112 and well, 112 in, a, in three quarters wins, which is still five wins off the record, even if you add that up to or round that up to 113. Uh, they, they, they in some way cooled off, I guess you can say, before the break. I, I wouldn't really call it a slump or cooling off when they're on a historic pace and then they just go five and five for, you know, the last 10 games and probably. I'd say maybe like seven and seven, eight and seven, something like that in the last 15, something around that mark. It's not really cooling off, if you ask me, but I guess for them that is uh, going going backwards considering the pace they were on to start the year. Um, they've even allowed the Dodgers to make it a make it a real race for home field at this point, and actually even the Mets and the Astros getting in on that race too. But the Rays uh, staying 13 games back in this division. Reclaiming second place this week, they're six and four in their last ten. Their uh, their other divisional mates have kind of slumped a little bit, while they uh, actually, as I mentioned already, were able to cool down the Orioles. So that that was really the only other team in the division that had been playing super super well recently. Um, and as the Red Sox run into the Yankees a bunch of times, they go three and seven in their last ten. So now you have the Rays in second in this division at fifty one and forty one, thirteen games back of the Yankees, the Blue Jays. 50 and 43, 14 and a half games back after taking three of four against the 16 out of their 26, 20 <laughs> out of their 26 man roster Royals, um, and then the Red Sox at 48 and 45, 16 and a half games uh, back of the Yankees. Then you have the Orioles at 500, 46 and 46, 18 games back despite going eight and two in their last ten. Uh, the Red Sox three and seven in their last ten. Uh, you know, two of those well, actually, all three of those wins coming against the Yankees, but. Also splitting one series, losing the other, and then I guess they got swept in between. Uh, but, you know, this division, we've said it a bunch of times at this point, it's just not a close race right now with how well the Yankees are playing, and uh, all you can really do is give credit to the Yankees, and look, they've played the teams in their division, they've played them well, they've played against everybody else well. I wouldn't necessarily say that they've dominated to the point where they are obvious World Series picks at this point, because there are obviously still teams like the Dodgers. Even the rest of the teams in their division have shown to give them a little bit of a fight, and obviously the Astros are their biggest obstacle because they have to go through them to make it, and I honestly, at this point, that series is kind of a toss-up to me. Uh, but for now, the Yankees are obviously probably the favorite, but not. I don't think they're as clear-cut as you might think, considering the record that they currently have and the pace they were on for most of the season and the pace Aaron Judge is on when it comes to home runs and Matt Carpenter having his crazy streak of 13 home runs in his first 30 games as a Yankee. All of that is crazy, but at the same time, I still do think there are there are certain things that this team could get better with, and, you know, they probably will figure that out at the trade deadline and do their work and uh, fix those little, 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 little errors that they might have. Uh, but overall, again... Not a very close division, but at the same time, you just got to give credit to the Yankees. Some of the teams in the division, as I said, uh, mainly the Red Sox. I mean, the Red Sox haven't gotten really killed in these series. I mean, they took the one game in extra innings against the Yankees uh, in New York, and then obviously they split the series at home, so that's not too bad. I don't think the Blue Jays have won this, a series against the Yankees this season, uh, maybe since their first series, but they haven't been, you know, getting swept most of the time. So it, it feels like they're somewhat close, and then the Rays are just going to be the Rays anyway, so... I think the Yankees have not been as dominant as their record would indicate. Or, no, actually, the other way around. I think they've been, yeah, I think they've been less dominant than their record would tell you they have been. Uh, but at the same time, obviously still a great team, and this division race is not very close. Nope, but it's an interesting uh, race for second place in the wild card with now all those teams contending, right? Well, 
Let's move over to the American League Central. Yeah, this one's interesting because uh, the loser, whoever ends up in second place, barely missing out on first, might end up actually out of the wild card in the divisional race. Something not normal when you consider a team who might contend for a division title and then not even make the playoffs at all, especially when you consider the fact that we now have three teams in the wild card uh, at the end of this year. Obviously talking about the race between the Twins, the White Sox, and the Guardians at this point. Uh, the Twins are 50-44. and 44. Guardians actually tied with them in the loss column, but still two games back as they sit at 46-44. and 44. The White Sox are at 46-46. and 46. They're three games back with the same record as the Orioles. That is the thing I would not think I would be saying heading into the season, that the White Sox would have the same record as the Orioles heading into the All-Star break. But here we are. Uh, they're 7-3 in their last 10. And that and uh, that, including their also their series win over the Twins this weekend in Minnesota, uh, has helped them to get to the point where they are ahead of Minnesota. Then the Guardians still sitting at two games back despite winning three in a row, six and four in their last ten. Then you have the Tigers sitting at twelve games back. They're thirty-seven and fifty-five. They looked like they were trending in the right direction, and then they weren't again. They're now they've now lost four in a row. They're two and eight in their last ten. And they optioned Spencer Torkelson down to AAA. He was previously uh, their highest-rated prospect within the organization. Actually, I think the second highest or the highest in all of baseball, depending on who you asked. Uh, but uh, the season just has not gone to plan, according to plan for them. Riley Green's injury certainly held that up. I mean, he's been great since he's been back from his injury. But, you know, it's like 80 games too late at this point, And uh, Torkelson hasn't been as good as Riley Green has been so far. Uh, even with a larger sample size. But uh, overall, you know, they're still not as bad as the Royals, although they're only one game away from that. Uh, who are, the Royals now 36-56, 13 games back of the division, 5-5 uh, five five in their last 10. They've lost three in a row, obviously, after, you know, their whole COVID situation in uh, Toronto. We can, you can look that one up for yourself. I don't want to I don't want to go through all the list of names of people who couldn't get into Toronto because they were unvaccinated, but they were put on the restricted list. They were without 10 players. Some of their top prospects saw time this weekend, which was cool. Some of them just, you know, some organizational minor leaguers, just pretty normal guys that are, you know, maybe a pinch hitting option normally on on another team or something like that. But uh, not exactly a star-studded roster facing Toronto and, uh, Obviously did not go well for them this weekend, although I'm surprised they even won a game, and they did do that. Uh, but overall, this is an interesting division, but there's no team that's really poised to run away with it, and I don't really think any team in this division is looking like a major playoff threat. Uh, the Astros looked, I mean, even though the Astros went to the World Series last year, heading into uh, the playoffs, they did not look like they were going to be the obvious World Series pick. And then... They just dismantled the White Sox um, in their postseason series. So when I think about the fact that the the Astros last year were probably worse than they were this year and just really just ran away with the series against the White Sox, then they're going to play the now they're going to play a different team from the Central possibly. I, I just don't see how any of these teams in the Central this year are better than the White Sox of last year by enough to close the gap between them and the Astros. And even if it's not the gap between them and the Astros. The gap between them in the Yankees, which is probably an even bigger gap, to be quite honest. So uh, I don't really see any teams in this division making noise in the playoffs, but it'll be interesting to see. We'll see. I guess maybe, I guess maybe one of these teams could end up playing a wild card team, and then you never know what happens in a Twins Rays or Twins Blue Jays or Twins Red Sox something like that series. That would be interesting to see. 
I'm not exactly sure how that works in terms of the playoff bracket, but it'll be interesting to see. I still think the Yankees and the Astros are uh, definitely the, the teams to beat in the AL, and I think no one would really disagree with anybody on that. Okay, well, then let's move over to the Astros division, the American League West. Well, their race has gotten closer, and it's not because of the Angels. The Angels continue to fall, and uh, I mean, well, I'll get to them in a second. Let's go. Let's talk about the good parts of this division first. The Astros six and four in their last ten, adding into the break fifty nine and thirty two. Uh, they really have just kind of picked up where they left off last year, the year before that. I mean, they just kind of keep going. They really, no matter what happens, this organization has found a way to keep winning and. Uh, you know, everybody says they don't have Carlos Correa, they're going to get worse, and, well, they're on pace for 105 wins. That's pretty much right around their normal for the past few seasons, uh, and it'll definitely be enough to win this division because guess what? The Mariners have won 14 games in a row heading into the All-Star break, and they're still nine games back of the Astros at 51-42. and 42. It's just really tough. I mean, if they, they won 14 in a row, and they're nine games back. Obviously, they started below 500 before the streak at 37 and 42. But when their streak started, every team but the Astros in this division was under 500. So it's just the lead that the Astros have built up is just too hard to get. And by the way, I think the Astros have two 11-game winning streaks this season on their own. So it's not like they can't get hot for a week or two and then all of a sudden this division looks out of reach again. I will say the Mariners are finally making this making it look like the Astros are giving are, are going to be given a run for their money by the end of the season a little bit, and maybe the Astros can't just, you know, kind of sit on their laurels and just sit around and not really do much at the trade deadline. Maybe it forces them to get an arm or two or, you know, get some other, get a utility player or someone to play a bunch of different positions to kind of shore up their lineup or even a catcher like Wilson Contreras because they've had some pretty bad hitting numbers from their catchers this season. I don't know what it might force them to do. Uh, but I think this might it, it, it might put a little bit more pressure on the Astros come the trade deadline and also just the end of the season. They have to make sure that they're going to keep winning games. They can't just take some games off at the end of the season. They might not be able to shut up, set up their rotation how they want to going into the playoffs. However, they in all likelihood are going to end up being uh, the second seed because guess what? The Mariners would even be leading the Central right now. So the winner of this division is looking very likely to be the second seed in the playoffs, which means that they actually would get to set up their rotation regardless because there'd be three or four days in between the last game of the season and the first game of the playoff series for whoever that team may be. So uh, the Astros will be probably in a good position by the end of the year. But it's not to take anything away from the Mariners uh, and what they've done. Their schedule has not been great through this stretch, but it has been hard enough that I will say they definitely deserve credit. They had to sweep the Blue Jays on the, uh, during this uh, during the stretch. You know, they played the Angels. The Rangers, I don't think, are an easy team to sweep necessarily. They're not a great team, but they're e they're not easy to just go into their building, take four games from them, and that's exactly what the Mariners have done. Uh, so they deserve a lot of credit for their winning streak, and uh, it's put them in a good position in, when it comes to the playoff race and maybe breaking that playoff drought, which is one of the longest, well, it is the longest in the MLB, but it's also one of the longest in all of sports. Um, but then, in third place, you have the Los Angeles Angels. Just kidding. You have the Texas Rangers. Yes, the Angels are that bad. The Rangers are in third place. 17 and a half games back at 41 and 49. They are 4 and 6 in their last 10. And despite getting swept at home by the Mariners, they are still ahead of the LA Angels. The Angels are 39 and 53, 20 and a half games back. They are closer to the last place A's than they are to the second place Mariners at this point. 
not even close to playoff contention. Uh, I think this is another wasted season from them. They're going to get another MVP out of one of their players. That will be the fifth since they last went to the postseason. They've gotten three from Trout, and by the end of the season, probably two from Otani. And guess what? No playoff wins for them in that time span, pretty much. Uh, So, look, I mean, we say it all the time. It's just disappointing how much talent this team has in terms of its top-heavy talent, but they just really have, from an organizational standpoint, it's not on the players. They have failed to build a winning team around the two guys that they've had, at least for the last two years, and before it was the two guys. It was it was just Trout and May. I mean, you could say Trout and Pujols, but I would say Pujols was part of the organizational problem of not being able to build around Trout. Um, and it just overall, it's just really disappointing. And, uh, well, let's just say the Angels are on pace for 68 wins this season. Uh, that is not something they should be striving for. They are close. I mean... At this point, if you wanted to put a bet on it, if I, I mean, if you're talking about preseason expectations, they're going to be closer to 100 losses than they are to be to 100 wins, and it's not even going to be close. Um, So that's just something that no one would have thought. Well, maybe some people would have thought would happen uh, because the Angels do seem to always do this, but normally I feel like it's not as bad, and I feel like this is actually the best roster they've put out in a while, and yet it's still underperforming by a large margin. Managerial change didn't do anything. None of that stuff has helped at all. Um, So they've tried a bunch of different things and none of it's working. And now Trout has back spasms and can't even play in the All-Star game. So the Angels have a bunch of problems to deal with. And because of that, 2-8 and in their last 10. They failed to win a game against their L.A. counterparts this season. They get season swept by the Dodgers. Um, And just overall, it's just not looking good. They, They played well against the Mariners. And then all of a sudden, they lost to them at home after inciting fights and then losing the series. I mean, they just have all kinds of problems. Uh, but you know who else has all kinds of problems? The A's do. They already have 60 losses. It's not even, well, it is the All-Star break. I was going to say it's not even the All-Star break yet, but I guess it is. They're 32-61. and 61. Their 344 winning percentage puts them on pace for 55 wins, which would mean a 55 and 107 season. Not good at all. Uh, they're 28 games back. But at least the A's are closer to the Angels than the Angels are to the Mariners. I guess that's one saving grace for them. Uh, and the A's have still outscored the Tigers to this point in the season. Uh, but look, 4-6 and six in their last 10, I guess that's a good stretch for them. But, you know, this division's pretty bad, top to bottom at this point. I, we thought it would be one of the more competitive ones, but the Angels are terrible. And uh, somehow the Rangers are better than the Angels. And, you know, the Mariners have closed the gap a little bit, but closing the gap means that it's barely not a double-digit lead in the division for the Astros. That's not. That's still pretty. That, that's a pretty sizable gap still. Yeah, we'll see if the Mariners can keep it up and at least make it a, make their a second interesting team uh, in August and September, and maybe be there in October. Speaking of which, I'm referring to the wild card race. So let's talk about the wild card race. Here we are at the uh, All Star break. Yep, in the uh, wild card race, there are a bunch of teams within uh, a good range of. Being in playoff contention, there are seven teams within three and a half games of a playoff spot. Some of them on the plus side of that, a lot of them on the minus side of that. First, you have the Rays, who are leading the wild card race. They're one and a half games ahead of the Blue Jays, who are the placeholders for the third place in the wild card race. The Mariners are now one game up of the Blue Jays, so they're comfortable. Well, they're safe, but not comfortable. Uh, the Blue Jays at 50 and 43 are the final wild card spot if the season ended today. The Red Sox, because they played the Yankees too many times in a week and a half, are now two games out 
Uh, although it'll be interesting to see who they'd have to dislodge. I don't know if they will be able to dislodge anybody from this. I, I honestly think there's a good chance the Rays, the Mariners, and the Blue Jays are the teams that end up making the wild card. Uh, but then you have the Guardians, who are two and a half games back at 46 and 44 of the wild card spot. The Orioles, three and a half, and the White Sox, three and a half. Something interesting to mention here is that the Guardians are two and a half back in the wild card, but only two back in their own division. And same thing goes for the White Sox who are three and a half back in the wild card, but three back in their division, which means that if the Twins were to get overtaken by the Guardians at any point this season and the, you know, the the um, the margins between the teams stayed the same, the Twins would actually miss the playoffs if they were uh, dethroned from the top of the division. So something interesting to think about when it comes to the rest of the season. Uh, it still looks like we're in a good position to have maybe three or four teams from the AL East. I think three is looking like a pretty safe bet right now, considering that Right now, there would be three. The next best team is would be a fourth. And then four teams, and then two teams down from that is a fifth team in the ALE. So uh, they have a strong chance to get all those teams in. And uh, I honestly wouldn't be surprised if the Red Sox were able to overtake the Mariners like they were last season. So we'll see what happens there. But uh, the ALE is definitely looking like they're going to have a few teams, more than a few teams, in the playoffs this year. Okay, let's move over to the National League, starting also in the East. Well, this one probably might be the most interesting divisional race. Uh, you probably have two wild card teams here if you're counting the Phillies. They, they're they in a race with the Cardinals. It's a tight race right now, and uh, we'll get to that in a second. But the Phillies, eight and a half games back of the first place Mets, who are six and four in their last ten. They took the series over the Braves during the week, but they failed to create the separation. I said they needed to create when playing the Reds a few weeks ago and uh, playing the Cubs this week. The Braves also uh, ended their, well, ended their first half with a loss to the Nationals while the Mets were losing to the Cubs today. Uh, but they end 7-3 and three in their last 10, and the division lead is only two and a half games for the Mets over the Braves. Um, I think that's a range that the Braves wanted it to be in. And honestly, considering that the Mets took two of three in the series, it's surprising to see that it's pretty much stayed the same as it was a few weeks ago when I said the Mets could maybe even stretch this to five or six games by the time the All-Star break rolls around. Uh, but... I don't think the Mets are very happy with how they ended the first half in terms of expanding on that lead, but, you know, they're happy they took the series against the Braves, I guess, and uh, they can sit with that as a positive. Then you have the Phillies, as I said, eight and a half games back. They've won three in a row after sweeping the Marlins. They're 49 and 43. Speaking of the Marlins, the Marlins are 14 games back in this division, 43 and 48 after getting swept at home by the Phillies. Um, and then you have the Nationals, who are who have a 330 winning percentage, the worst in all of baseball. Uh, I think they're on pace to lose maybe 110 games at this point. It really feels like it. Um, if that's not 110 game losing pace, I don't know what is. Yeah, they're on pace to be 53 and 109. So that's as close as, it, as, close as it's going to get to the Orioles 52 and 110 from last year. Uh, although the, obviously they were able to turn that around quickly. And maybe the most important thing in this division is that Juan Soto turned down a 15-year, or reported, I should say, I guess, 15-year, $440 million extension, and now the Nationals are willing to trade him. So uh, we'll see what happens there. We'll see if he ends up within the division. I think that would be incredibly stupid from the Nationals if they did that. Uh, but also, I think when you look at some of the things that these teams gave up in uh, trade packages, and then also some prospects who seem like they're untouchable, uh, as of recently, if you're talking about the Braves and the Mets, you might, I don't think there's really a package here that the Nationals could trade within the NL East. And I think you're really looking at the Dodgers and the Yankees, honestly. And maybe, maybe I guess an outside player could be the Astros. They really always have good depth. 
in their in their farm system, so they could maybe send over some prospects, some other young players who've already come up, um, and we'll see what happens there. I don't. I'm not necessarily saying that's been a reported thing. I don't think that the Astros are necessarily going to go all in on that, but they are an interesting dark horse team in the Juan Soto sweepstakes, in my opinion, because uh, obviously everybody's always talking about the Dodgers and the Yankees, and then obviously the Padres have pulled off a million trades recently in signing, so people think they're always in the mix too, but we'll see um, who ends up winning those sweepstakes, and uh, for now, it's just all rumors. But, uh, I mean, look, there's nothing much to talk about in this division other than the fact that, look, Mets and the Braves, they're in a close race. It continues to be a close race. It has been a close race, and I think it honestly will continue to be that way unless, unless I mean, something catastrophic has to happen for the Braves in, from really an injury standpoint, and the Mets have to get DeGrom back and Scherzer back healthy for the rest of the year and and have them keep going if this race is going to turn into a blowout at any point. But it doesn't look like that's going to happen at this point. And, uh, you know, DeGrom's made a rehab start or two, I think, at this point. Scherzer's obviously been back for a few. He's pitched well. Uh, but overall, I still don't think the Mets are going to run away with this, but I still definitely have them as my divisional favorite here. Okay, well, let's move over to another division with a close race, at least for first place, the NL Central. The Brewers are at 50-43, and 43, just a half game ahead of the Cardinals heading into the All-Star break. The Cardinals, obviously, at 50-44. and 44. Uh, They have won two in a row. They're 6-4 and four in their last 10, despite losing a series at home to the Dodgers. The Brewers, coming off a controversial, controversial three-game losing streak against the Giants. Obviously controversial because, well, Yandel Gustave did not balk. I don't know what the heck the umpire saw in that game on Saturday. Go watch the clip for yourself. He stepped off the mound, and they called him for a balk, and the Giants won the game because of a balk in the bottom of the eighth inning off of a guy stepping off the mound like a normal pitcher would. And you can even tell that the umpires didn't know what was going on because two different umpires gave a completely different explanation for why they called it a balk while both stating that it was very obvious that it was a box. So, uh, look, just clear confusion. Umpires have a big ego in the MLB, and uh, maybe they're just a little bit upset that they're going to be replaced by robots next year. So uh, that'll be interesting. Uh, but in the meantime, while we don't have robot umps, the Brewers end up losing three in a row, and uh, they're three and seven in their last ten. A terrible end to their first half. They're barely above 500 at home. They're a, a bit more above 500 on the road. Uh, not as balanced of a team as the Cardinals, who, well, actually the Cardinals aren't balanced, but they're really good at home. They're 29-20 and 20 at home, despite just being 21-24 and 24 on the road. An under-500 road team is normally not uh, close to a divisional lead, but here we are. Um, Cardinals still at 50-44, and 44, close to this divisional lead, although uh, maybe they shouldn't be. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the Brewers just kind of like the, well, it's really an exact mirror of the AL Central, where... A team that probably isn't that great is just somehow hanging on to a divisional lead. Uh, the Padres and the Braves have better records than the Brewers, and uh, the Phillies would also be a half game back in this division. And yet, the Brewers are still leading it, and uh, they have, I mean, it's obviously not a comfortable lead, but, you know, I, they don't really have the record of a divisional leader, but here we are. Uh, then you have the Pirates, who are 11 games back at 39 and 54. You have the Cubs, who are 14 and a half back at 35 and 57, and the Reds, who are 15 games back at 34 and at 34 and 57, I should say. Uh, the Cubs went one and nine going into the break, but salvaged one win against the Mets at the end of it. Uh, silly Mets, that's a that's a that's a really bad swing at the end of it. They should be up three and a half games, to be quite honest. Uh, but 
yeah, that's it for this division. You know, it's not the most interesting. And uh, look, whoever doesn't win the division is probably not going to get into the wild card, honestly, the way it's looking right now. Yeah, because we've got strong teams, as you talked about, in the East and some strong teams trailing another strong team in the NL West. That team is the Los Angeles Dodgers, who are 60-30 and 30 on the season. Uh, they have played a good season this year. There's no other way to put it. And, uh, you know, that's why they are leading this division now by 10 games after going 15-2 and two going into the All-Star break. Uh, the Padres 4-6 and six in their last 10, while the Dodgers are 9-1. and one. Uh, 52 and 42 now. They are 10 games back, as I said, of the Dodgers. The Giants, after a really big slumper, 7 and 3 in their last 10, they've won three in a row, and they're 12 and a half of the Dodgers, only two and a half games back of the Padres, uh, making for a tight wild card race, by the way. Uh, currently sitting at 48 and 43, uh, as I said, after that sweep of the, well, I, guess, I don't know if it was a sweep, but uh, the win over the, the three wins at the end of the series over the Brewers, whether one of them was deserved or not is a different discussion, but. Uh, we already had that discussion. Uh, but look, one only one game back of the Padres in the uh, loss column, so not bad for them. Uh, then you have the Rockies, who are 43-50, and 50, 18 and a half games back. They're 7-3 and three in their last 10 also, but, you know, still far out of contention when it comes to a playoff spot. And last but, well, actually least, the Diamondbacks, 40-52, and 52, 21 games back of the Dodgers who are on pace for 108 wins this season. That would be a franchise record. Um, all I got to say is Freddie Freeman got finally named an all-star. So uh, after all that, he will be replacing somebody. And I think it's even dumber because they decided to put Jake Cronenworth in the game to replace, I think, Jazz Chisholm. But then then all of a sudden positions didn't matter anymore and and Freddie Freeman's replacing Starling Marte. I know Freddie Freeman is not jumping in a center field in the All-Star game, but uh, you know what? I, I guess it had to do with Jazz being a starter, but who knows? Uh, I don't know why they needed to do that. If anything, they could just put Trey Turner at second base and have Swanson play shortstop, and then everybody would be happy about that. Uh, but uh, yeah, it, it took way too long to get Freeman in the game. And speaking of snubs, there's still no reason that Will Smith shouldn't be in this game. Uh, he's better than Travis Darno in terms of talent and in terms of stats this season. Even expected stats think he's better. And also, Dylan Cease has become one of, I think, four pitchers of all time to have th- 10 straight starts, or sorry, in a 10-start span, allow three earned runs or fewer. And he's not in the All-Star game. Do, do not give me any explanation for why he isn't. There isn't one. Um, it's just stupid. He needs to be in the game. Uh, there were guys injured, there were more pitchers who pulled out of the game, and yet he's still not in it. It baffles me. I know that's in a completely different division, but the Freddie Freeman talk got me thinking about that. Um, and uh, we'll see if there are any other snubs that get off of the, uh, well, the snub list and become on the All-Star list. There's now 80 players who have been named All-Stars this year with how many people have been injured. You know, Trout with back spasms allowed Ty France, probably the biggest snub of them all to get in. I already talked about Jake Cronenworth going there, so there. There are a lot of players who, who got there who weren't initially picked. Tyler Anderson, another Dodger who was on that list. Um, Carlos Rodon actually got on that list as a replacement. I said he was a big snub. He got on the list as a replacement and then got replaced. Um, yes, the replacement got replaced. So it, the All-Star is kind of crazy, but, uh, you know, that it always happens every year. And it's especially common now with how people are uh, dealing, well, with how organizations are dealing with their pitchers now in terms of he- their health and uh can they pitch the All-Star game or not? Okay, well, that wraps up our look at the divisions. Let's uh, quickly look at the NL wildcard. 
Yep, the Braves are six games up of the Phillies and the Cardinals, who are tied for the final spot currently. Be interesting to see a game 163, although I don't know if they're still doing that, actually. Uh, the Padres, two games up of that same spot at 52 and 42. And then you have the Giants, who are a half game back of both the Phillies and the Cardinals. Uh, it's interesting about that tie. We'll see what happens when the end of the season rolls around. I, I bet there won't be a tie, but if there is, that'd be cool. Uh, but look... That would be two teams in the NL East if the Phillies are making it, and then uh, one, or, and then well, sorry, two teams in the wild card in the NL East, three teams total, and then two in the NL West. Um, but then you know the Giants only a half game back; they could make it three teams in the NL West, and then only two teams in the NL East. So it'll be an interesting race, and you know somehow maybe at the end of it, the division winner with the worst record of all the division winners, maybe being the Brewers, might actually end up with. Two teams in the wild card, or two teams in the uh, in the playoffs overall. If the Philly, if the Cardinals are able to get that wild card spot, it'll be interesting to think about. But just taking a look at that quickly, since we are well, they say the first half of the season is actually more than halfway through the season. But uh, you know, it's through the All Star break. It's interesting to know, and uh, the trade deadline's rapidly approaching at this point. Uh, it really feels like normally one guy gets traded during the All Star game, and that's when the trade deadline really starts to kick into uh, full effect. And I think the deadline is August 1st or maybe July 31st. So uh, we're, looking, we're, we're coming upon that pretty soon. All right. Well, that wraps up our look at Major League Baseball action. But let's have a little preview of some action that's coming in connection with the All-Star break. It's the favorite home run derby. Uh, let's go down the bracket and make our predictions for this year's home run derby. Well, uh, we obviously have the legacy pick, Albert Pujols, in the derby. Uh, he will be exiting in the first round at the hands of NL home run leader Kyle Schwarber. That is not even a question to me. Uh, I assume you would pick the same, yeah? I did, except then I'm looking at chalk. So why don't you do yours first? And I don't want to do all chalk, so okay, i got to pick an upset. Uh, I'll do Schwarber, obviously. Uh, I, I know you're not picking Pools as the upset. That would be a terrible upset pick. Uh, but uh, Soto versus Ramirez is the next matchup they would be facing the winner of the Schwarber-Pujols matchup in the semifinals. Uh, this is actually a really close one for me. I know Juan Soto had a great performance last year and really only lost because Pete Alonso was Pete Alonso. Uh, but at the same time, Jose Ramirez can hit home runs. He can hit for power. And if you're only telling him to hit a home run, when he wants to crush the ball, he really crushes the ball. Um, I'm not going to go ahead and pick him because despite uh, Juan Soto's, I guess you could say, rough-ish season... <laughs> Uh, so far, I still think that he'll be wanting to put on a show for the guys in L.A. for various reasons that have absolutely nothing to do with his performance this season. You stole uh, what I was so going to say. So I'm going to go ahead and say Juan Soto wins this matchup, although we'll see what happens in the next round. Okay, so i got to pick this this side of the bracket. I'll just throw it out there and say a monumental upset. Albert Pujols uh, beats Schwarber. Showing off for the Dodger fans one more time. It's batting practice. It's not real pitchers. Guy's going to be grooving the ball to him. And he doesn't have to run either. I mean, he he, tired. I I think, honestly, he kind of need. Well, first of all, he's going to be tired. Someone said, someone actually posed the idea. I forget who it was. Um, But someone posed the idea that they should be able to tag team the two legends if they wanted to participate together so that they wouldn't get tired over the four minutes. They could alternate. Have Miguel Cabrera (laughs) for the first two and have Albert Pujols for the second two minutes, and that would be enough to maybe get them through it. Um, Honestly, they'd probably lose anyway. That'd be be a great idea. Look, I'll be honest. You said it's batting practice. I think he needs someone to throw hard for him to have enough power to actually get it over a wall. So 
I don't really think it'll actually help him. He might hit the ball hard, but I don't think he's hitting many home runs. I mean, I would love to see him hit a bunch of home runs and win the home right, run well, derby, but I Schwarber, Schwarber, I mean, he'll take any pitch and hit a home run with it. Just go back and look at the and Red Sox with his, his Red Sox upset. postseason. Everything is crazy when it comes to Schwarber. Chooses so. a major upset there. So Pujols with the stunner over Schwarber. Uh, who knows? Maybe Schwarber's going to you know go out too late enjoying his all-star break. <laughs> I will take Soto over Ramirez on this side of the bracket, and I will take... That would have been your opportunity to pick an upset. I know, but I'll take Soto. I can't, because I'm going to take Soto to uh, come out of that side of the bracket. Oh, to beat Schwarber? Okay. Well, uh, well, let's move on. You jumped the gun a little bit. Let's keep going with the quarterfinals matchups. You have Alonzo against Acuna. Nobody's beating Pete Alonzo, honestly. I don't really think it makes any sense to pick against him. He might lose, because it's hard to three-peat in anything. The Lightning proved that. Uh, the Warriors proved that. Every team has proven that in, in the course of history. It's hard to three-peat. It might be easier to three-peat, though, when you're talking about one individual guy, and you don't need everything going right as a team. And it's an exhibition. And especially because it's Pete Alonzo in a home run derby, not an actual sport itself. Uh, so I'm taking Alonzo over Acuna. Uh, obviously, Acuna only seated higher than Pools and any other, I mean, frankly, I don't even know how he made it into the home run derby. <laughs> I'm just going to say it straight up. I don't know how he got the most votes out of any all-star guy and is in the home run derby when I think he has like 10 or 11 on the whole season. Um, and I'm really disappointed, honestly, that Pujols and Acuna aren't the names Stanton and Judge, especially because Stanton is the only player I've ever seen hit the ball out of Dodger Stadium. And he did it during a game. Imagine what happens when you throw him batting practice. He could probably hit six balls out of the park. I would not be surprised uh, I'd be watching out if I was in the center field concourse uh, eating food uh, if Stanton was in the game. But unfortunately, he's not going to be. But uh, look, Alonzo, because those guys are not there, got to be the clear favorite for me. Although also, a lot of NL East representation in here. So what about Seager versus Rodriguez? It's an Honestly, it's an interesting matchup. Um, I really don't know what the reaction is to Corey Seager coming out from the LA fans. I think he'll get a big cheer. I think he'll get a big cheer, but I think also there might be some fans who might boo him considering that the LA fans were booing Hunter Pence at the All-Star Celebrity That's softball a game. Story. Well, yeah, but a career giant, whatever. I would say Corey Seager, look, he did leave the Dodgers. It's not like he couldn't have resigned. Maybe the Dodgers didn't spend the money on him and didn't really entice him to. So, I mean, I think he'll probably get a cheer because it's very unclear as to what happened in that situation. And, uh, I don't really think there is any animosity in terms of Dodger fans toward Corey Seager. He is the World Series MVP of the yeah. Dodgers' only World Series in 32 years. So I think they're pretty happy with him. But he's not going to win the home run derby. In fact, he's not even going to win a round. Julio Rodriguez all the way for me. All right, I'm taking Alonzo, and I'm taking the home, the hometown favorite, former hometown favorite, Corey Seager. Uh, and I have Alonzo coming out of that side of the bracket, not surprisingly. So. Well, I already revealed it a little bit, but I have Alonzo going all the way and winning everything, so obviously I haven't beaten Julio Rodriguez, but I think this is kind of going to be similar to, uh, I think, what was it, a few years ago, it was Jock Peterson and Vladimir Guerrero, where both guys get so tired that they might only, that they might lose the finals just because they're so tired from a ridiculously uh, competitive semifinal home run derby matchup, but... I do think Alonzo, I think Julio is going to hit probably 40 home runs in, in total, but I don't think he's going to get um, the win over Alonzo. Definitely have Alonzo winning that. Uh, and then in the other side, I do have Schwarber winning it. I have it going, Chuck. Last year it didn't because Otani barely ran out on the, what what do they call it, the swing off? Yeah. Um, but I don't really think that was, a, I think that was more the fact that he happened to be at a field where he can't, where he has to clear a very, very tall wall at Coors 
Schwarber is not going to have any trouble hitting the ball in left or right field, and nor is Alonso because there are no big walls at Dodger Stadium. Everywhere is eight feet except for the very tiny walls in left field and, and well, I guess it's not even straightaway left field. In the left field corner and in the right field corner, you won't see guys hitting corner hitting the ball to the corner, though, anyway. They're going to be hitting it probably straightaway center, left center. Uh, but I have Alonzo winning it all after getting uh, past Schwarber in the finals. All right, I've got Soto in an upset over Alonzo. I think he does a I think he does a show off uh, for the, his maybe future hopeful home team hometown crowd. Um, he's a six fifty to one odd odds in Vegas. That might not be a bad bet. Six fifty. Six fifty. Six fifty to one hundred. Oh, I thought you said six fifty to one. I, did. I, I was made like, a mistake. Uh, that's a that's six and a half times. It's not a bad. I'd be surprised if Pools was six fifty. No, 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 no. Six six hundred fifty to six. Interesting. Six fifty to one hundred bet. I think it's just because he's got. I think he's honestly got the toughest matchups. It's going to be hard for him to get one win. It's going to be impossible to get a second win, and it's going to be even harder to get the last one. Okay, well, we'll see how home run derby goes. Uh, That wraps up this edition of the Fourth and Twenty Four podcast. Please be sure to check out our next podcast, which will be on Monday, July twenty fifth, where we will once again take a look at Patrick's weekend predictions and look back at Major League Baseball action as it starts up after the All Star break. So it'll be maybe a little bit of a brief look. A shortened week. In the meantime, please be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including his picks for next weekend's games, which will be posted on Thursday, and his Major League Baseball power rankings that will be updated tomorrow. All of that on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number 4, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.